On this week's full-time roundup, the Prem race heats up. La Liga and Syria pretty much seem wrapped up, and Bayer and Bayern both take care of business ahead of their clash next weekend. Plus, we're down to the final four in AFCON and Asia Cup, and of course, Kylian Mbappe. Full-time roundup starts right now. And welcome into the latest edition of the full-time roundup. Matt Gesslin here, back with you guys alongside Daniel Brackett. As always, a huge shout-out and thank you to Ewan for taking care of my seat this week as I was pressed on some work deadlines and could not even watch the games midweek. But again, a huge shout-out for him and Daniel for taking you guys through those fixtures. And now you get to, again, listen to my very, very unfortunate voice. Daniel, though, is with us as always. Daniel. Good to see you. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. A lot of unfortunate and some somber day for both of us. Matt, it's feels like it's been a year as so much has happened this week. As I was making the roundup, Doc, I was kind of figuring out who had the shittier Sunday. Was it you or was it me? Because on your hand, your team conceded four goals twice this week. And look yep. like absolute dog shit. But on my side, we probably just lost the Premier League. So I don't really know. I was a little sad, but your misery from across the screen has made me feel a hell of a lot better, though. So thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, we'll definitely get into my misery later. But first, of course, Daniel, we want to talk about your misery as this was the game of the weekend. Uh, one of the biggest games of the year in the Premier League for sure. Of course, we were talking about Liverpool and Arsenal this afternoon on a Sunday in London. Daniel, I'm not sure where we want to start here. The first half, uh, what happened to Liverpool? They just came out of the gate flat. It was pretty interesting to see Arsenal were just all over them. Uh, this game should have been actually 2-0 probably before halftime, which really would have put this thing out of reach. But um, it just seemed like Arsenal came out of the gate, fired up, ready to go. You could see Martin Odegaard trying to get the fans engaged, which they did. Um, you know, Jorginho came on and, and looked really good in the midfield there with Declan Rice. And then, of course, we'll talk about it here in a second. But uh, Martinelli just absolutely owned and Alexander Arnold down that down that left hand side for Arsenal, right hand side for Liverpool. But again, it just it just felt like a very strange performance from a, a a team in Liverpool that's had so much go on the last ten days, and of course, trying to defend their spot atop the atop the the table. Um, give us your take on on what happened from arguably you know the most important side of things at Liverpool. Um, our record against Arsenal has been actually fairly phenomenal on um, the last eight games. So I came in not worried. Then I saw the lineup and became a little worried. Nunez uh, did not start. Um, Trent did start because Connor Bradley's father passed away. Uh, sorry about your loss, Connor. Uh, that, that really stinks, especially after kind of the performances you've been putting in as of late. Um, but you hit on a lot there. I, I do want to come to Trent's um, backing here. I don't think he would have started this match if Connor Bradley's father hadn't passed. I think Connor Bradley would have started just because he just came back from injury. He's still kind of getting into the swing of things. He looked very, very rusty fitness-wise and just with the ball. He didn't have his usual magic. So I'm going to say this was just a, a fluke game for him. 
Now for Liverpool as a whole, our midfield looked fairly rubbish. Not having Dominic Chauvislai really hurt in this match. He's like the press resistor next to McAllister. Um, there's not many matches that I get to watch where Liverpool are completely outplayed and don't really have any answers. And I feel like that happened today, which is obviously pretty frustrating. And Arsenal won in the midfield. Um, and that was kind of the key to this match. So that's kind of what I have to say about that. I thought Rice played very well. I thought Jorginho, like you said, played very well. Um, I did my one hope of seeing Havertz play the nine. I was like, okay, they're not going to score at all today with Havertz at the nine. Boy, was I wrong. But three of the goals were pretty weird goals just in general. Um, so it was just a weird game. But I do have a public enemy number one now, and that is Mikel Arteta. He is a twat, wanker, whatever you want to say. I hate him very much. Welcome to the club. Uh, it has been my calling card of the last probably 18 months since he's taken over this job to, to rib him. Uh, Dan, Danny, you know, our good friend Daniel Bramlett of the Charlotte Soccer Show was sitting next to me as we watched this game at Elizabeth Parlor Room and just kept getting on me about why do you hate Arteta? And I said, that look at him right there. Just look what he's doing. The and goal celebration? Are you kidding the me? The goal celebration post-game. Don't know if you saw this. This might make you even more angry. Mimicking Jurgen Klopp's three fist pumps to the cop. No, um, so that was a fun one to see as well. Come on, get your own stuff. Uh, Arteta, I, I used I call him Lego Man because he looks like a Lego figure. We actually uh, said that. We actually said that during the game. That that's hilarious. We, we said the same exact thing. Yep. Well. So uh, you know, I've never, I have not been a fan. Of course, he's he's he can't dis dismiss what he's doing on the field. But yeah, to get back to the game itself, you know, you mentioned um, Trent Alexander Arnold. It, what, I'm surprised that you'd say that as far as starting him. I, I do agree with you though. I think he's weak, too weak on that right hand side. It didn't matter if he was fit or not, and and in form. I think. Defensively, Martinelli is going to take him apart all day long. I, I don't understand why Klopp is so adamant against not playing him more centrally. That, that's where he, he would absolutely thrive for this team. It's difficult, of course, because you already have McAllister there. Shobosai would come in if he's if he's healthy, like you said. But you know, the right foot of Trent Alexander Arnold and the balls that he can ping around in the midfield is just absolutely second to none. He is such a liability though at, at right back position defensively. It, it's hard to kind of see how he can play on that side going forward, especially against some of the bigger sides, because it's not just a one-off. It's consistently the same thing. He gets beaten too easily, and it puts a lot of pressure on the back three at that point because they have to rotate and move over. You saw that happen today continuously, and and there were just so many balls in between the lines, Daniel. And to your point, I think part of that was the midfield not winning there as well, but then also the rotation and having uh, Virgil come a little bit over or Kunate, whoever was on that side, depending on what was going on. And it just was too easy. Uh, you know, that ball, that, that little ticky-tack ball that got Havertz in, a little bit of that pressure should have been closed down from Trent at first. And then it would have had Virgil sit back a little bit, not be as tight. And then of course, Havertz just gets a clean in and and should do more um, to your point. You know, he, he needs to finish those. Otherwise uh, he's probably not going to be starting consistently week in, week out, but that's got to be a finish. And, and, and then of course, additionally, you know, Declan Rice, it might still be the signing of the season. Uh, it, it's just remarkable what he does there and, and continues to just, you know, dominate the game and, and control the ball and the pace for, for Arsenal. Now, I will say 
the goal at the end of the half completely changed the way that things were, were going. And you saw a little bit more from, from Liverpool in the start of the second half. That first 10 minutes, it felt like they had a chance to, to really put the hammer down, get that 2-1, you know, absolute stunner of a lead and really maybe put the Emirates on its heels a little bit. Arsenal weathers that storm and then they have an, an absolute howler uh, in the back with with Allison and, and Virgil van Dijk that Martinelli just has an absolute happen from about 12 yards out uh, and, and basically puts the game away. Yeah, um, it was also a pretty weird game for Verge and Allison. They didn't seem like they were on the same page, kind of like you said. Allison had that deflection go through his legs and then the miscommunication there. Arsenal had the same thing, so it kind of went null for me on that one. But I will say just a quick tactical tweak that you mentioned. Basically what it seemed like it was happening was – Havertz would drift to Ibu's Ibu Kanate side, and for some reason the tactical tweak was Virgil to step up on Odegaard because he's kind of where the midfield goes through, and then Martinelli would make a diagonal run between the two of them, and then they would play that ball in between. And me and you and touched on that's a very effective run to have, especially when you can occupy the center back's mind and then make that diagonal run. It seemed like that was happening, and instead of following him. Um, Trent would try to pass him on to Kanate and it just wasn't working. It happened maybe four times. So when we got to the half point one, one, which was best case scenario for how we played, I really thought they'd have a tweak for that. And we'd come out of the second half playing a little bit better, which you said the first 10 minutes were pretty good, but yeah, I, I just thought there'd be a little bit more um, tweaks, you know, to happen and maybe shake it up a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is a big blow for Liverpool. A draw or a loss is, you know, not against Arsenal, like a, a top three team. It's not like the like panic mode or anything, obviously. But when you have City kind of getting back to health, playing Brentford tomorrow, um, they're probably going to win 15 straight and then kind of catch ground fairly fast. Um, I also said Arsenal were not in this race, and now they definitely are in the race. So eating my words from Thursday, but uh, still – you know, you move on and it's all about the next match now. Yeah. And, and you mentioned city play Brentford tomorrow. Of course, I would love your thoughts here in a second, but of course, from my lens, it, it was important for, for Liverpool to win this match for the league. Um, you mentioned Arsenal back in it, only two points behind Liverpool right now. Here's the only problem for you guys. If you're listening to us, Manchester city is only five points back with two games in hand. One of those being tomorrow. They win both those games. They're already at the top of the table. We also have seen this historically year over year that they do put a game set of games, you know, together, whether that's 10, 15, an entire second half of the season. That that's their MO. Uh, they do still have a game against both of these teams. And so this this really, to be honest, you know, Daniel, I think as nice as it is it as it is to look at the table and see three teams pretty close but for me this is kind of down to to one team it had had liverpool won this game and, and extended that lead and kept it close and, and you're, you're going head to head week over week kind of like what we're seeing in la liga which we'll get to a little bit later otherwise this this feels to me like it's basically setting up for city to to take it if they want it yep and and to move on here to to another team in the top four spurs uh had a little bit of setback against Everton for Charleston's a man on fire. I think it's eight goals in nine games. Now he scores a brace against his former side. Um, but Everton 
at the very last gasp, uh, get a huge equalizer from Jared Brathway in the 93rd minute, I believe. He's been one of the best players um, of Everton's season so far. Was on loan at PSV last season, which I didn't really understand because I thought they kind of needed him last year. But a 21-year-old English talent, um, and he is going to be here to stay in the Premier League for sure. But yeah, this is Spurs, right? This, this is, is Spurs. The this Spurs. is all on Spurs. This is the eighth game in stop, eighth goal given up in stoppage time this year. Uh, to be honest, though, Daniel, I, I do have a take on this game, um, and it's not probably what you think. It, it's on Everton. Um, get out of the league. They are currently in 18th place right now, still in the relegation battle. I was watching this game as it was the first game of the weekend, and to see the fans acting the way that they were and and saying that the league is corrupt and it's all about the the they want them out of the league and then you hear the commentators they say say Sean Dyche is the the best man for the job because he can get them out of difficult times you know what gets them out of difficult times winning games winning games and staying up and having a team that actually looks like it wants to wants to compete and play out there this is the third campaign that Everton will now be fighting for relegation battle and and so what what is that like Yes, it is great that Sean Dyche keeps them up. Is that what this club is about, is to stay up each year, year over year? Like, get out of here. Like, they need to go down and get reset from start to finish, find a new way of playing, you know, have a little bit more flair to them, and then come back up. I think it would do them a world of good. Now, of course, I, I don't think that'll happen. I do think they find a way. There's there's other teams that look even worse. Uh, you know, Crystal Palace, who got absolutely blown out by Born, by Brighton yesterday. Uh, you know, Roy Hodgson, also time for you to go. We've talked about that, and this one looked really bad. Forrest did not look very good. There's, I, I do think that Everton finds a way. I, I would love to see Luton stay up, and I do think that they find a way to stay up, just the way that they've been playing. Um, but, I, but I do think that, you know, the... The way Everton plays is just, God, it's got to stop, and it has to change. Now, I'm going to have a big counterpoint because I could, I, I don't think I could disagree more, honestly, on this subject. If they didn't get a 10-point deduction right now, they'd be two points off Chelsea in the middle of the table. Now, obviously, financial fair play. I think they're just saying that because this whole city thing keeps getting the can kicked down the road. And they're, you know, they're taking the easy pickings with with Everton right now, and then Forrest might be in trouble as well. So I understand the frustration, and I think it's all encapsulated of how they've been treating the city side and what they've done. I think that's kind of what they're trying to say. But at the end of the day, if they didn't have ten points, they'd be at in tenth place right now, I believe. I, and I do uh, get where you're saying. I do where you're coming from. But the last or 11 ten games, place, they've, won, or they've won one game in the last ten. Okay. They've won one game. So, yes, I understand that they, they had a streak, especially after the point deduction or right around that time where they had a little bit of a run. But, Daniel, sit, again, last 10 games, they've had one win. Like, that, how, that's, you know. It's definitely not good. It's definitely not good. I agree. I agree. So, I'm just saying. I think we're being a little harsh on them. There, there's all types of different, you know, clubs that, are in the Premier League. Some play pretty soccer. Some play very ugly soccer. This is kind of the more relic, vintage Premier League kind of side, and it is kind of annoying. That's the same conversation now that they're just fighting for survival every year. It's inevitable at this point, and it, this might be the year that it happens. So I see where you're coming from. It's not an attractive brand of soccer, but I I, I do think we'll agree to disagree on this one. 
Um, but at the end of the day, with Spurs at least, you know you're going to be guaranteed conceding at least one or two goals, so you just have to outscore your opponent. And I think they are building something, but this is it's not sustainable, at least for this year, to keep playing this way. So it's going to be interesting to see how Ange and the front office decide to kind of figure out how they're going to build this, where they can play that style that like of Liverpool, the free flowing high line, but still you know, keep that back line tight. And so that's going to be a big question for Ange. And I think the more time he has and the more money he has to spend on players he likes, the better. Because he wants athletes, right? Like kind of like Ewan said, Liverpool do, does the same thing just with better athletes. Bandivin is a great start because he's a freak athlete. He's probably the fastest center back in the Premier League right now. And the outside backs are, are very quick. So the more athletes, I think, and football players, of course, Ange gets the better they'll be. And this is also a project, but it's Spurs are in for a wild ride for this for this uh, rest of the season. They are, of course. They they dropped two points that they could have used for the top four battle. Aston Villa, who beat Sheffield United 5-0, uh, you know, now sit two points clear of them at 46 points in fourth place. They do have a weird little um gap between them and Manchester United now six points and, and kind of have that fifth spot down to themselves I would feel to your point they're not they're not out of the fourth place battle I think um but it's going to be a long haul but you know Aston Villa are very very good side especially at home how many points are they going to drop there things of that nature so again it's going to be interesting to see how long Tottenham take I think they do have a project in play they did they just signed a, a young uh, 17-year-old Begval ahead of, of Barcelona as well this week. So again, to your point, Ange is building something here. He, he mentioned that as one of the reasons why he wanted to take Spurs over Barcelona is that the project looks very enticing. So uh, I think there's an opportunity. It's hard for me to say that, especially as a Chelsea fan, but they're obviously light years as most of the league team in the leagues. Most of the teams in this league are light years ahead of Chelsea right now. Um, Daniel, another team, I mentioned it a little bit, and they're part of that rebuilding stage as well as Manchester United. They keep rolling. Uh, they, they beat West Ham today, which is a good win, who is right behind them. Uh, they're, they're now seventh place, West Ham, two points behind United. But for me, Daniel, the, there's a couple storylines here for, for Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag, which I think have gotten a little bit overlooked. Uh, of course, we've touched on all the issues that he's had this year, but I think two things that have, have gone on notice is, is – the youngsters are really, really good on this side. I think that they have some tremendous talent, and you're starting to see that come to light a little bit quicker than, say, a team like Chelsea, who we can question whether or not that talent is there. And then the other element is, is injuries, right? They, they've been absolutely decimated with injuries, and you saw that again today with Martin, uh, Lissandro Martinez going out again. So, you know, credit to them and Manchester United up to sixth place now almost kind of where they should be. Of course, they would like to be top four. I think that's a little bit out of reach for them this season, just given what's ahead of them. But our, honestly, sixth place after everything that we've talked about with this side is very impressive. Yeah, we've been very harsh on United, so I'm going to give them their flowers here. Um, number one, Rasmus, Hoy Rasmus Hoyland, you know, was criticized as a young striker. You know, you got to, with a big money move, you got to, find that back of the net and he's starting to find that very consistently that's a good young player for the future Alejandro Granacho with two goals today another fantastic revelation that they've had um and then you know Kobe Mainu in, in midfield as well 
has been has been great. So they're kind of relying on that young core as well as the brilliance of Bruno Fernandez. I think the best thing that they can do this summer is to sell Rashford, get him off the books, and take that money and go spend it in in wisely. Now, if they actually spend it wisely, that is the question of the day here. Um, but I, I'm liking what Ten Hag's building at this point. I don't think he's still the manager for the job long term. But as of right now, he's done a good job of kind of reinvigorating the young squad that they do have. And they're, they look the healthiest they've ever looked uh, for months now, months now. So Onana, clean sheet, never thought I'd say that in a long time. So that's, that's a positive. That Martinez injury is a big blow for them. But on the flip side, West Ham got rid of Fornells and Ben Rama at the deadline day. They have two wingers. They have Kudus and Cornet and Bowen. Sorry, three. Excuse me, I can't count. How are you supposed to compete in Europe and in the Prem with three wingers on your books? And especially with a, a manager of David Moyes who doesn't really, you know, he doesn't, he's not tactically flexible, I feel like. He's kind of the same formation, runs the same kind of style. So, I think West Ham are going to take a big step back here. Um, I guess Kudus could be technically a winger as well. He's more through the middle, in my opinion. But I'm just struggling to understand some of the moves West Ham have made in January and how that's going to impact them for the rest of the season. It is interesting. They, they, we thought they made some decent business. Um, I thought they could have done a little bit more with the money that they got for Declan Rice. Of course, they, they made you know Mohamed Kudus, like you mentioned, uh, Alvarez for, uh, from uh, from Edison Alvarez from from Ajax, I believe it was uh, Mexican national as well. So you know they made some they made some decent acquisitions. I, I think they could have done more. To your point, it's also a new opportunity for them playing in Europe consistently and i think that takes a toll another team that we'll touch on here in a second that we've seen that on is, is newcastle too so right similar type of mindset you know th this is relatively new and they, they they do have managers that that play similar you know very um much the same formation game over game although eddie howe a little bit more flexible than david Moyes. and so i do think that there was an opportunity there in january to make some moves although we saw the the january window is light across the board for everybody in in most of europe not just premier league but uh i i do thought think it was interesting uh and, and they could have done more and, and obviously again another team that we just said newcastle who who really needed to bolster their lineup with all the injuries they've had and they daniel they might have had the most interesting game and most exciting game of the weekend. 4-4 uh, against Luton. Uh, if you didn't watch this one, they were down two goals late, and they rally back to get a huge point. Luton, of course, would have loved those three points, but they'll take the point. They move into 17th place, as we mentioned before, ahead of Everton, who now sit in the bottom three. I mean, who... Is Eddie Howe, what, at one point I was texting somebody and they said, is this the end for Eddie Howe? And it kind of felt that way a little bit at home, uh, you know, losing to Luton 4-2 the way it was looking. Does this change really much for you the way that they came back here? Or how do you still feel about Newcastle going forward now currently sitting in ninth place, by the way, behind Brighton? Um, it's, I think the first year in Europe, with everything is is a learning experience. I mean, Howe's never managed a, a European side before. Um, they had the signings, then they have kind of gotten told about having the FFP stuff. So I think that's why they didn't go shopping in January. Um, they sold El Almiron, or did that? 
did that ever go through? I don't think it did. Um, it didn't go through. Okay. Cause that was going to be their big, you know, get some big money by literally selling to themselves in the Saudi league, which was, would have been ridiculous that that's how that works. Um, you know, inflated transfer fee to help them out. So I, I think they did not go shopping for that one reason is they cannot spend any money. They're going to have to sell people in the summer, but I like their fight to get back. Um, I thought Harvey Barnes returning this week, he came off the bench and scored a goal in, in Trippier and him kind of led that comeback. So they should fight. They were able to tie it up, but obviously you want to win against Luton. On the other hand, Luton, we've said this before, you know, they've had leads and they've just dropped points after drop points. And I still think what the manager is doing over there is he's doing a fantastic job and he's, what he's doing with like what they, he's been given is is incredible, but you'd like you know if they do go down, they'll have a few games to choose from to look back on. Damn, we could have we could have done more here. Um, but Ross Barkley, man, did he roll back the years with this performance this uh, today or yesterday? And I wanted to give him a shout out, a shout out for that performance. Um, you know, just to hit on a couple more. Burnley and Fulham tie, Fofana off the bench with a brace, and Bournemouth and Forest draw as well. But last but not least, I wanted to get your your humble opinion on Wolves humbling Chelsea. Uh, I don't know if we need to necessarily talk about it. No, we it. do. We do, um, for sure. Yeah, I don't know, Daniel. I, I'm pretty much done with the side. Um, <laughs> I've been pretty... I've been trying to be positive and I've talked to you about it and, and you and you and talked about it, about my saying that this is a project and that you have to give the manager time. I was very keen on letting Pochettino have some opportunity to, to kind of get his feet wet and get settled. He came of course with a quote after the game about how unacceptable it was. I don't necessarily know why you think it's okay to say something like that after that kind of performance. You just don't have the performance. How about that? There's, there's your answer for me. Um, honestly, I don't know if it, at this point in time, if, if this was the right move, I, I think had we just kept Graham, Pro Graham Potter in place, things would have been much better. I think Graham Potter had a vision that you saw being developed at Brighton that Deserby has since taken over and built on. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino has had, where are we in February now? So he took over in, in uh, August, essentially. So what is that? That's seven months. And there's no shape. There's no way that this team is playing that you see that he wants them to play. As a manager, his job is to get these guys to do the basics at minimum. And, and they're not even doing that. And there was opportunity you know there's players on this roster that absolutely need to go Raheem Sterling is maybe the most useless player in the Premier League right now there was opportunity and moments on the sideline where he just turned his back to the ball wasn't even paying attention to the ball that was being passed to him he didn't come back he didn't defend that first goal was all his fault because Ben Chilwell had to come out and extend and then Thiago Silva who is who's too slow and too old to kind of make that ground up leaves an open space there in the middle now granted the sassy deflection that you okay fine but it wasn't wasn't a deflection that was so out of left field that it completely that's that wolves were there that would have been a goal even if it wasn't deflected my point and so little mistakes like that and again for what we've spent on this roster and, and i talked 
texted with you back and forth the last couple of days about this. I, I don't think the players are bad. I think there's, you know, there's, there's some talent there. I, I don't know to what extent there's a full set of talent that we expected it hundred million dollars. You better fucking show up and they're not showing up, but there's also, you know, they're 22, 23 year old kids that are, you know, that's a lot of money. There's a lot of pressure when all of a sudden that you're kind of flying under the radar, you're playing at Benfica, you're playing at Brighton. Uh, you're again, that of that age. And then all of a sudden someone's valuing, valuing you and your play at $110 million. And you feel like you have to make up for that. And I, yes, there is an element of that. You should be able to do that. We saw how Jude Bellingham has just fit right in at, at a bigger situation and, and just, and just shined, but that's not for everyone. Um, and so there's, there's a lot to unpack here, but again, this is a lost season, another lost season for us. And, and just thank God we're not in anything other than the Premier League because, well, we're not going to win the Carabao Cup. You guys are going to absolutely smash us and, and we'll probably lose this this replay with Villa. So um, can we just get to May and, and start over? I, I, and honestly, I don't know if Pochettino makes it the rest of the year. I'm going to have to agree with that, folks. There is five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And through these, this podcast, you have seen Matt in every single stage, and he is finally at the acceptance stage. So it, it took a while to get here. I, I thought you fought hard, long and hard to get to this part, and I support you in a way. Don't get me wrong. I am absolutely loving Chelsea being dog shit, but I have to feel for you as another wasted season here. To move over to another league, going to enjoy talking about this one. Germany, Leverkusen, get back to winning ways here. Nathan Tellis steps up big time. Um, he had to kind of fill in big shoes with Fren Pong on that right side and, and scores a brace today. Um, our, you know, Bayern also win after a shaky first half. There was a moment where Leverkusen were up and Bayern were losing where I was like, oh, wow, this could, you know, get really interesting, but then they kind of rally back. Kane breaks his record for most goals in a debut season for a Bayern Munich player, uh, beating out Luca Toni, rolling back the years there for that. Um, are you still on the ship that you think Bayern is inevitable at this point, or do you think there, there's just something in the water with this Leverkusen team? And they're not healthy right now, so if they can get healthy soon, maybe they kind of storm to the title. They also are in the Polkai. Well, we, we're going to find out. Uh, that's the beauty of, of the league, of the competition, because they play each other. And, and not only do they play each other, they play each other next week, Daniel. And, and this is arguably the matchup of the year for me. Of course, it's, it goes without saying. It's head-to-head. -head. It's, it's you know, everything that you want. But more importantly, if, if Bayern do get win this match and jump Bayer Leverkusen, it almost feels like that's the accelerator for that similar type of run, right? I think we've seen this before where similar with Man City, they Bayern just dominate this league and, and everyone has to be absolutely perfect to catch them. And we touched on it before that Leverkusen, they've of 20 games that they've played, they have not lost a game yet, right? So when that loss comes, how do they rebound? How does that impact them? You mentioned their health, uh, you know, Stuttgart behind them are, are playing well they, they bounce back you know Dortmund will not go down easy Leipzig will make it a challenge and, and how does that reaction of losing a match potentially not saying they're going to lose next week they haven't played yet but how would potentially losing uh that match have ramifications and how would they bounce back that to me is going to be the biggest tell I do think 
that Bayern are going to win this match uh, next week. I, I just think when we've seen Bayern at their best is when the game has mattered the most, right? And, and it's kind of been one of those opportunities to to really demoralize their opponent. They, they did that against uh, Dortmund in that in the Der Klassiker, and Dortmund kind of fell off the radar for a couple weeks after that. I think you're going to see Bayern come right out of the gates in this one, absolutely put the hammer down, go up to, not to get ahead of the predictions, but we'll do that on Thursday for this one. But I, I think this is going to be, I, I think Bayern win this, and I think Bayern run away. I, I hope not. I hope you're wrong. Um, I I do think in, in past years, it'd be, you know, this is a, a logical statement. I just don't think Bayern are, are at the level um, of the of past. And that's not a talent. That's how Tuchel is, is coaching. They've been the bad. There's no doubt about it. And I don't, there's nothing to like, question what you're saying. It's just, it, it just has that feeling like it's going to happen yet again. It, it, it does. It gives, it, but it gives me hope at least. And just to touch on this Byron game, Pavlovich, the youngster comes in, plays center mid, and he's been, you know, one of the best players for Byron this year. So I wanted to give him a shout out on the pod as a youngster. Um, so it'll be interesting. Both both sides are, are are sort of banged up. So we'll see how Xavi versus Tuchel is set up. It was a draw last time. I'm going to lean more draw on this one, but I, I do think which well, what you're saying is 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 factual, and and I understand where you're coming from. Now you mentioned Stuttgart. We were kind of saying that they might be in free fall here, and then they respond in a big way. They must have listened and. Gave, we gave them bulletin board material, basically. Undav, the striker without Garasi, is on fire. Um, Fulkrug on the left wing. Fulkrug, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, is also playing out of his mind. They just got Dahoud from Brighton. I think he has a point to prove in the midfield. He made his debut off the bench. So I, I, I'm going to take retract my Stugart statement. I do think they find themselves in the top five Top five, I feel like it's a safe bet. I still think top three is asking a lot, but we're gonna have to see if if Dortmund and, and Leipzig can kind of get their head out of their asses, to be honest. Yeah, of course, Frankfurt fall um to Cologne, which is a big loss for them, especially to keep pace. They're now five points back from that fifth, that fifth spot in that little group there. I, I agree with you. Um I, Leipzig has not proven too much to me, although they do beat Union Berlin 2-0 this weekend uh to kind of keep pace and and Set four points behind Stuttgart in third, one point behind Dortmund and and fourth who draw as well uh, to drop points. Again, a perfect opportunity for Stuttgart who who extend that lead and give them some breathing room with with the two behind them doing what they did. Um, but I, I do feel like uh, in the same boat as you that Stuttgart will find a way to finish probably fifth, um, you know, maybe fourth, squeak into to Champions League. My only concern here, Daniel, about something like that is ex and it, it's not. Not the end of the world. It's what the how the leagues are set up. It's the beauty of the sport that you play the games that are in front of you. It does have a feeling of a Union Berlin type situation, though, where if they were to get that Champions League spot for next year, it's almost inevitable that they probably don't get out of the group. Now, a lot can change between now and then, but it just has that similar type of feel to it that it was such a surprise that Union got in there and then they really were outclassed and outmatched in the Champions League. You'd hate to see an opportunity be loss especially from a bundesliga perspective they would prefer to have leipzig in that in that fourth spot than stuttgart but again credit to the team that's why they play the games i would never diminish them getting that achievement if they were to get it but it does have that similar type of feeling to me 
No, it does. And especially losing Garossi in the summer, which is basically inevitable at this point. It'll be really depending on how they how they replace the the stars that do leave. They've done fairly good business and they've also I I, I really back the coach there. So I rather them get fifth so they can, you know, really be steady in the Bundesliga and in Europe, but we'll we'll have to see. I, I do think Dortmund or Leipzig will will leapfrog them at some point, but to to move on to the sunny beaches in Spain, um, the Madrid derby was a very interesting one. Um, I saw the starting lineup and Vinicius and Rodrigo were kind of up top, and I was like, okay, I think Madrid's going to see this one out, even with the makeshift back, makeshift back line of Carvajal and Nacho Fernandez in the middle of the park then when i tuned in i realized that vinicius actually had a knock in the the pregame so they kind of had to shuffle some some uh players around and brahim diaz actually played up front as well they go up early um i i thought they dominated this game for the most part um i think they're after there's a lot of controversy around how madrid won a couple of their last games i think it was especially almeria with some phantom uh, refereeing decisions, but I think they were. I think it, this game almost counteracted that. As I thought, Jude was fouled twice, if not three times, in the box. That were, in my opinion, at least one of them was fairly clear cut, and they should have gone two 0 up before Diego or is it Diego Marcos Llorente got a ninety third minute header. Um, and this was the encapsula- encapsulation of the back line. Um, two fairly short center backs did not respond to a, the ball in the air. And Llorente was the first one to respond and headed it in to kind of shock Madrid. This was a really good opportunity for them to take a couple steps forward as Girona did drop points. We'll, we'll get to in a second. So I'm sure they're, they're fairly upset with how that game ended and le- left a bad taste. But I mean, it, I feel like there might be a little discourse to say on how Atleti handle big games because they seem to struggle quite a bit and they weren't playing anti-football this time, but I don't know. They, I would like to see more from that talented roster. Yeah. I think we got though exactly what we wanted as a neutral, right? Real Madrid getting that early goal from Brahim Diaz. Great goal, by the way, fantastic touch inside the box, just kind of the, his control and then puts it in the back of the net. It, it opened up athletic. I think they had to come out at some point in the first half. You could see that they were playing six in a line in the back when Real Madrid had the ball in their half. And so you, you do still see some of those Diego Simeone tactics and, and, old thinking of, of playing defensively and pack the box and and really play counterattacking football. But they've been different this year, Daniel, and they had their chances in this one. They had three headers in the first half alone that they should have put in. Ultimately, it was a header that they, they do score on. They also scored another header that was disallowed for an offside, which was offside, by the way. So anyone that's going to get all upset and say it's a conspiracy for Real Madrid to win it, it was offside. Uh, I, I I think this is an opportunity, like you said, for for Real Madrid to – they were a minute and a half away from taking a four-point lead going into this game against Girona next weekend, which if they take care of business as we all think they should, that would be seven points clear. Um, And I think that that would have almost wrapped up the league, in my opinion. Uh, Real Madrid would have been, like I said, seven points ahead of Girona, which would have put them essentially, if results continued, um, you know – 12 points ahead of Barcelona uh, or maybe, maybe 11 points ahead of Barcelona. Um, So, you know, 
that's that's what just was at stake here. Uh, and now you go into this matchup with Girona, who, like you said, dropped points yesterday, probably was feeling like, well, shit, if Real Madrid wins tomorrow, that is the end of the league for us. And and all of a sudden now they have a game head to head with an opportunity to make a statement of their own and say, hey, not so fast. We're in this thing and we want this title. Yeah, I'm loving the parallels between the Bundesliga and the La Liga. It's kind of an inevitable thing, right? But there's always hope and these teams just keep getting gifts. And that, I mean, I'm sure Girona is going to be sending Urante a nice little package after that one, after that that draw. Um, but on the flip side, you mentioned Barcelona here. They went in a wild game. Victor Roque with the most interesting performance of all time, scores, um, I believe gets an assist, and then gets a red card or two yellows in pretty quick su- succession. So an interesting uh, – an interesting performance for him, for the youngster who who got off the mark last game off the bench. Um, but it seemed like Xavi uh, tried a new formation today. It seemed like a 5-2-3, maybe a 5-3-2 in, in some respects um, with Frankie and Gunduan kind of in the midfield alone and, and three center backs due to just the injuries that they have. And you saw that Gunduan played a different role and what does he do? scores a goal and assist. And if you want to listen to that conversation that we had about Xavi and how he's using his players, listen back on the past episode because we kind of – Gundogan was kind of the the point of that whole discussion, um, being played kind of out of position and not his role. But, you know, Barcelona, they win. Um, I don't think a lot of – I think, you know, this was maybe expected of a win, historically definitely, but how they're playing, not really. But it's good to see that they – even with the red card, kind of see the game out with a nice three-one win. It it it's so frustrating to watch this team. You know, they the first goal is absolute class, and and just what they can do. You know, the ticky tack ball into Lewandowski, who chips it over the keeper. Beautiful goal. Then they have moments where they absolutely collapse, and and you know they just don't look good. They, they give up a goal right after that. Uh, Samu, who who looks to be a real player for on loan from Atletico Madrid. Uh, so that he he was fantastic. You mentioned the new formation, Eric Christensen playing a little bit more of that central defensive midfield role. Not really sure why. That's not his position. I don't think he's played there since 2016. Romeo, it's because of him. He's awful. That's I mean, but that's that's what you're saying exactly. So like this team is just it, it's such a such a conundrum and a weird time right now. And, and they do get you know stabilize a little bit. They're only eight points back from from Real Madrid. So there is an outside shot. Um, if things go well, they are probably big, big fans of Girona next weekend to just kind of take points off of Madrid and keep them in touching distance. Of course, they still have to take care of their own business if they do that. Um, but it's a weird it's a weird situation, Daniel. And, and not only that, you know, it's it's also a, a gift for them this week, right? They they re um jump Atleti Madrid into third place who who dropped points today against uh, Real who which just talked about Atleti club who who won um and now they're only two point three points behind fourth place as well so that that battle right there is getting tighter uh Real Sociedad who who dropped points uh to Girona probably a little bit too far away now for for that championship Champions League spot in fourth uh currently 11 points away from fourth so you're really looking now between Barcelona Atleti and Athletic Club for fourth third and fourth um which which if you're Barcelona you absolutely have to have financially like if you do not make the Champions League there are some serious ramifications and how many more levers can they pull is the real question. 
and you have to find a new manager in the summer and you know that's a, a pretty big variable if it's going to be a hit or not so you also have Lewandowski who's getting up there are you going to replace him in the summer are you going to roll the dice with him for one more year a lot of questions on Barca's front I think the focus is obviously Xavi trying to get top three so he can at least end his legacy as Barcelona coach on a good note um but very interesting you know little race going on in, in Spain and I can't wait to kind of break down these games next week with you, especially, you know, Byron, Bayern, and then Girona and, and Real Madrid. To kind of go off to Italy, this is no longer a race, it seems. Inter Milan um, win, a scrappy win against Juventus, um, 1-0. Um, once they scored that goal, it was kind of, all right, let's just, you know, play safe here. Um, so, Inter kind of go top now. You know, that's a six-pointer, as we like to say. Um, so, Kind of a blow for Juve and, and, and Co. as Inter looks like they're pulling away for another Serie A title. Yeah, they also have a game in hand too, right? So this was a huge, huge result for them. Juventus probably needed to win this one just to keep in touch. Um, it, it's a, it's a like you said, a six-pointer, but also, again, Inter has that game in hand, which now really kind of puts this one. It feels out of reach. I won't say it's out of reach yet. Of course, you never know, and they do have to play the games. But Inter are clearly the best team in Italy. They've been for the last probably – uh, I'd say 12, 18 months, it feels like. Uh, well, Napoli you know, last year. I, I get that, but but it, you never really felt like that was going to be a, a long-term. Yeah, exactly. Sustainable flash in the pan. And, uh, of course, AC Milan's at third place, four points behind Juventus now. We've touched on this, that, that little gap and that, that limbo state that they're in, they do get a big result this weekend. So uh, it helps them kind of continue, you know, kind of keeping pace with potentially taking second place. We've both talked about how we're not a huge fan of, of Allegri ball and, and what he's doing over there. And now you see it, uh, they're only four points behind. So could opp you know, big opportunity for them to finish second after a really, really poor start to the season. Of course, Daniel, for me, the fun begins at fourth place in this league. Uh, Atalanta, all the way, and we've touched on this before, Atalanta sit on 39 points. They're starting to maybe separate themselves a little bit from the pack. But even, you know, if you're looking at it, you know, from a game perspective, fourth to ninth is only five points. Of course, Atalanta dismantled Lazio today. So you kind of want to take Lazio out of that equation just because of the, you know, the fact that they, they're not that strong. And when they go up against a team that's, that they're fighting for, they really didn't do much. Of course, Jay Mobile gets a, a late penalty to make it 3-1. Otherwise, this game really wasn't too much of a match. And then Napoli, who really squeaked by Hells Verona, um, you know, with, with a late, late winner, of course, we heard about it. I heard about it all day from our friends over at Charlotte Soccer Show and uh, giving giving uh, King Carroll a hard time of going to that team, and they were they're looking forward to to that team going down, uh, just so that there's ramifications of Carroll going over there and and getting relegated. But uh, Napoli squeaked that one out again. You know, just points to how bad that how's Verona team was. But again, that middle battle section, middle battle, that middle section and the battle there is, is really, to me, where this league is going to lie in the next couple of weeks, especially given how far ahead and, and just how much better Inter are than everybody else, it seems like. Yeah, um, just a couple of cool storylines from from this week. De Catalare is a man on fire. He had a brace um, in this in this Lazio or Atalanta-Lazio game. He's looking like a new man under Gasparini, which is good to see. He continues his dazzling form. And then for, for the Napoli game, Ngonj, 
um, scores against immediately against his former side after switching to Naples. Um, so as as Napoli get engaged, um, Hellas Verona gets Swiderski, who made his debut, like you said. Um, and then Bologna continued to, to be delightful. Uh, they win in a six-goal thriller 4-2. And what, what Thiago Mata is doing over there with that kind of squad, it, it's very impressive. We'll see if they can sustain that for the rest of the season over, you know, perennial teams like Lazio, who has Immobile coming back. He, you, Like you said, he came off the bench today. I mean, Immobile's the he's the, the key of that team. So if he can kind of stay healthy, maybe they can keep climbing the table. And then, you know, Roma with De Rossi at the helm, they play tomorrow. So still still up in the air to see if they can kind of climb into Europe. We'll have to see. But uh, Serie A is, is turning out to be a lot of fun for for not, you know, the title race, but for, for you know, fourth and below. Yeah, another league uh, as we transition to the rest of the world that is probably fighting for the bottom, uh, as we've talked about all season. And, of course, PSV and Eredivisie just – continue to dominate that league. Uh, they do drop points again, Daniel. So that's three results in a row without a win, which I must feel very strange for them, given again that they had gone into that 17 for 17, I believe it was, and then all of a sudden dropping points. But they are clearly the team uh, in Eredivisie. Ajax continue to battle back after a, a abysmal start to the season. Uh, so credit to them. Now pretty much kind of close neck and neck for fourth place with a, uh, with AZ Akmar, who who also lose and drop points today to Feyenoord, uh, who sits second and, and a clear second place in that league. Um, Benfica and Sporting continue to keep pace uh, in the Portuguese league, which I know that you keep a close eye on. Porto drop points, so Porto now sits four or six and four points behind Benfica and Sporting, respectively. You feel like that's becoming a two-horse race there as well. And PSG in, in league uh, on Friday get a big result to, to continue dominating that league. We've touched on that league. I think boring, is boring, 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 but <laughs> uh, of course we will keep you posted on all the other leagues. We've touched on Liga Amekis before they've been getting a little bit up to speed and ramping up on their league. So keep an eye out for those updates going forward. And of course, Daniel, before we blink, we're already in February. MLS will kick off here soon as well. And I know uh, our North America fans will want to have an update on that. So we'll keep everybody in the loop on both of those leagues. Again, Liga Emekis just getting started. So uh, not too much to talk about quite there yet, as that's really early on. But uh, as always, we will try and keep you guys posted on domestic leagues. We are going to take a quick break. Before that, though, please uh, download, like, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating. Please go ahead and interact with us on X. We'd love to hear from you guys. You can follow us over at full-time roundup you can also follow daniel at liverpool cltfc for all of his dire news and depression mood of liverpool today against arsenal uh, i don't even want to go on social media today so you don't have to follow me but if you'd like to it's life of m Gesslin on x as well and like i said we're going to take a quick break but on the other side we are down to the final four in afcon and daniel there has been some other big news that we need to touch on in the world of football so we will be right back after this quick break And welcome back to Full-Time Roundup. As we said before the break, Daniel, we want to...
almost feels like it is going to be inevitable. They beat Molly. Uh, we'll see what happens as we get to our predictions here in a second, so don't go anywhere. Uh, and, of course, the last one of this quarterfinals was South Africa beating Cape Verde, who might have been, honestly, the surprise of the tournament in penalties. So for our semifinals, Daniel, we have Nigeria versus South Africa, and we have Ivory Coast versus Congo. I know where I'm leaning, um, but first, I would love to hear your predictions on what our AFCON final will be next week. I I have a feeling you'll probably pick the favorites on this one because that's the probably the most logical thing to do, and that's probably what's going to happen. But I'm going to back South Africa to beat Nigeria, and I'm going to back Ivory Coast to beat Congo for a South Africa-Ivory Coast final where Ivory Coast hoists the trophy. That is definitely not conventional. Um, so I respect <laughs> the pick of South Africa there. I will take Nigeria as I did have them as my final winner a couple episodes ago. And of course, Senegal getting bounced uh, earlier against Ivory Coast in the knockout stages makes that a little bit easier. So I will take Nigeria versus Ivory Coast. Now this is going to be a tough one because that momentum of being in the host country at home playing for the championship. Uh, but I do think that Nigeria just have too much talent. You've seen that on display this entire tournament. So give me Nigeria to win AFCON 2024. You heard now, it here. Asian Cup, that means they probably just lost. So sorry <laughs> for that, Nigeria. Switching over to Asian Cup, though, of course, uh, Iran, huge, huge shock, Daniel, knocking out Japan, who we both thought was arguably one of the favorites to win this tournament. The so favorite. If not the favorite, yeah. And no Tarami so, either. No Taremi, and they knock out, again, who was probably the favorite of this tournament. Uh, additionally, Qatar wins on penalties against Uzbekistan. Kind of feel like that was somewhat expected as, as Qatar have been a pretty big uh, presence here, not only in this tournament, but also in the World Cup pre previously as well. Jordan beat Tajikistan, and South Korea come back against the Socceroos and advance to the semifinals. So in our semifinals, we will have Jordan versus South Korea, and Iran versus Qatar, similar to what we just did for AFCON. Give me your final and winner. This is tough because South Korea has come down um, to win in penalties the last two um, knockout games they've had. So with that being in mind, you could either argue, is this is this like the year or, or is this not sustainable? I'm going to go it's not sustainable. I'm going to go Jordan beat Korea here. Jordan had been a nice surprise in this tournament, so I'm going to keep backing them with their convincing performances. And then I'm going to go with, I think Tarami should be back for this game, so I'm going to back Iran to beat Qatar for a Jordan-Iran final, and I think Iran is going to hoist the trophy. Two unconventional picks, South Africa in the final for AFCON and Jordan here. Give me Yunming Sun. I think there's just too much talent on South Korea. I think they advance out of that semifinal. And then, again, I mentioned Qatar having a presence at the World Cup, of course, with it being hosted there and the way that they're building a program. I do think that they advance. I think they're a strong side. Uh, I think that they had a lot of experience playing in the World Cup with the similar type of roster that was in that, that tournament. So, yeah, give me, give me Qatar uh, versus South Korea. And like I said from the beginning of this tournament, I think South Korea has way too much talent here. They are clearly the best team on the continent, and, and they will get it done. Jurgen Klinsmann will win a trophy with Yunming Sun, and he can go home back to Spurs where he has not yet won one and say, I have won a trophy. So with that being said, 
we will keep you posted on that. Uh, those matches are February 10th for Asia Cup. Um, and I believe it's very similar dates for the AFCON Championship as well. So we will, of course, have all that covered for you guys um, when we have those games and on the appropriate episode. Now, as we try and do on Thursdays, but Daniel, I would like to maybe see if we can get some in here today, is just touch on a few additional notes that are coming out of the world of football as we love the sport, we follow it religiously, some aspects might say. And of course, we couldn't do this episode justice without talking about arguably the biggest storyline of the day, maybe of the weekend, maybe of the year. Uh, it kind of hit the press and took over everything. Of course, if you haven't been watching for the last 48 hours, Kylian Mbappe has said that he has decided he will be going to Real Madrid this summer when his contract at PSG is up. Much of a surprise for you? No, it's not. Um, this was always inevitable. The only other team that probably could have tried to get him was Liverpool, and just us, especially with Jurgen leaving, that kind of I think that's why he kind of timed this announcement to be now. Um, it, it feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does, which is unfortunate for me. Um, but on the other hand, Real Madrid are building a super team again. This is the next Galactico. You know, when you look at Benzema, Bale, Ronaldo, those kind of teams, you'll have Jude, Vinicius, Mbappe. Rodrigo and Co. How Carlo is going to to manage to fit all these pieces into one roster will be very intriguing. Could we see one of the stars now make a move out? They were saying Vinicius would be the guy. I disagree. I think it could be Rodrigo that could maybe find himself on the outside or Mbappe or one of the other two wingers that are currently there could play through the middle. Um, so it'll, there's a lot of different iterations that can happen with this team. And Carlo is, if there's anyone to manage this kind of team, it's Carlo Ancelotti for sure, especially on his last year um, with the club before probably retirement. So it'll be an interesting thing. This I'll be very curious to see how they set up or how this affects the rest of the roster. Um, but obviously, this is a, a sad day for any other La Liga fan, and especially Barcelona fans. Yeah, it will be interesting. I, I don't know. I think Vinny is the guy to leave, honestly. Um, it's ironic and maybe no coincidence that he was out of the lineup today, although there, I don't think that the two go hand in hand because he's obviously not going to be replaced right away. But it, it does start. He was, but it feels like there was, I don't know, just something feels off. Of course, Killian uh, plays in the middle at PSG, although he's been very, very vocal that he does not like that position and prefers to play on his preferred left-hand side, which is, of course, where Vinny plays. So how will they manage that? You mentioned, you know, Carlo being the guy to do it if they keep both, but also financially, does it make sense to have both of those two guys there? I don't know. I think there's other bigger ramifications across the world of football than this, than internally at Real Madrid, right? Um, where is Osman now going to go? Is he going to fill that void at PSG for, for Mbappe? Where does Holland go? There was talk that he might have jumped to Real Madrid. Does he stay now at Man City? Um, could you see... 
Finney going to Man City and having him play on the left-hand side, which would be pretty phenomenal to have, you know, Julian Alvarez, Holland, and, and Finney right there to kind of have KDB right behind them and transition that. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that are going to move around here now because of Killian's decision. He obviously is the big domino to fall. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that for, for the summertime. I don't think there's anything that can really get done yet um, right now just because you know there could be deals behind the scenes as, as players contracts expire they can make agreements but not sign any contracts um so it will it will be interesting to hear i mean he is just the guy that moves the needle though and it would be a great move for it will be a great move for real madrid and la liga to get a name like Kylian mbappe uh to join that side you know where Vinny could go that would be a little shocking but honestly would not be that shocking to me at least especially with the whole Jurgen Klopp domino leaving. I think Mohamed Salah might find himself finding a new club. And with that money, you know, Liverpool could go and get a Vinicius Jr. from. I'd also shout out Man United, but it's probably unlikely that they get top four. In the case that they do get top four, I think he would be a favorite to land at Manchester United for sure. Agreed. I, he I, he wants Champions League football. So if they're not in the top four, it's they don't kind even of an think out. about it. Yeah. Exactly. And so you know, especially with Sancho and and Anthony probably finding a new club, especially even if Tin Hawk stays, I think both of those players will find a new club. So I could see Vinicius going to those two clubs. There's a very short list. I don't think he would go to PSG. Um, I, I think like maybe Osman would probably fill that void. Um, and then you know there were rumors about Holland going. To Real Madrid, that is no longer, I think, after the Mbappe domino fell. So I think this might be one of the, even with the Euros, might be one of the most wild summers we've seen of, you know, roster shakeups. But what I wanted to get into next is we've seen a lot of coaches leave, and 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 I think a lot of coaches will get replaced in the summer, like Xabi Alonso leaving Leverkusen. Um, Tuchel will probably leave Bayern. Jurgen's obviously leaving um, Liverpool. Ten Hag might find his way out of of uh, Manchester United. Pochettino, I don't think, maybe even makes it to the summer. So, I mean, that's four or five big clubs. AC Milan will probably find a new manager. So will Juventus. So I, I kind of made a short list of some coaches that I could see kind of landing in some of these places, um, starting with Michel from Girona. I think after you know, everyone goes and buys all their players for their top three finish. I think that he might find his way um, looking for a new club. I could see Michel. I think the most the most logical hire would be to Barcelona um, with all the youngsters that he's kind of proven that he can work with. Um, and then you got, you know, Nagelsmann. I think uh, I think Nagelsmann could go to uh, – could maybe go to Liverpool if Xabi doesn't. Um, so that's another name, or Nagelsmann, I could see him at Chelsea. How do you feel about that? Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it, um, as long as we give him the opportunity to really do it. I mean, he's been stated as a, a technical genius um, in the past, and, and of course, the way that he was dismissed at Bayern was very strange. They won every Champions League game, and they, you know, they won the league the season before, and so yeah, I don't I don't see why not. I don't think you can get any worse than Maurizio Pochettino right now. So um, if anyone down the street would like the job, uh, I'd be willing to potentially give them that opportunity too. So yeah, I, I Julian Nagelsmann would be a great fit for us if if that happens. 
And then you also got, I think Desirbi will look to move on in the summer from Brighton. So I could see Desirbi going to, you know, maybe a Juventus, um, maybe a Barcelona. Um, and then you got names like, I don't know, like Roger, like all the the three top three Portuguese coaches, Sergio Consal, Ruben Amarim, and then Roger Schmidt. I think Roger Schmidt would be the most unlikely to leave, but I could see that Ruben Amarim filling in for like a Brighton team or, uh, you know, another, another like mid table top echelon, but not like a top, top club. So it's going to be really interesting to keep your eye on. Also, uh, a dark horse for the Barca job is Garcia Pimienta. He was the Barcelona B coach um, before he went to Las Palmas. Las Palmas has punched well above their weight this year. He's has that Barca DNA. So I could see him making the move back to the back to Catalonia. And then Graham Potter, I think he'll find himself a job somewhere in the top five leagues. Can't really believe he's he's really, you know, still unemployed at this rate. But I, I I'm surprised Roy hasn't gotten sacked at Crystal Palace and he goes to Crystal Palace. That's the one that would make sense to me right now. And then Thomas Frank might find himself a new club. I could see him going to Byron Leverkusen. That's but that's just me. Um, so just wanted to do a couple, you know, coaching carousel as this is one of the bigger years with, you know, a lot of clubs unhappy or managers making big moves. I just wanted to kind of, you know, plant the seed for for the summer as things are going to heat up in the next couple months. As as there definitely will be, and we'll we'll cover all that. I do love some of those conversations and starting points. Graham Graham Potter to Palace makes most sense. Where does Thomas Frank end up? We touched on it before. Maybe Borussia Dortmund, although I didn't. I like that. I like we, we that talked, one. We talked about that too. Although Terzic has kind of written the ship a little bit. Bayer Leverkusen is also enticing if if Shabby leaves for him. So interesting discussions to have. Jose Mourinho, will he get back into coaching and where things of that nature? So again, uh, a great discussion. Uh, lots more so than players. A lot of time for for managers to kind of have that window. Uh, but Daniel, the last thing I want to touch on news wise before we get into our players of the week, as we always do for you guys is that today on Sunday, as we're recording this about an hour ago, uh, the World Cup final selection was made for the 2026 World Cup. And New York City MetLife Stadium will host the final on July 19th. Uh, the semifinals will be in Dallas and Atlanta. So Dallas will host the first semifinal on the 14th, and then the 15th will be played at Mercedes-Benz. Quarterfinals will be Gillette Stadium in Foxborough. Uh, SoFi Stadium in Englewood, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, and Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, Florida. Now, here is the one thing that I want to touch on. We'll, we'll certainly cover this more as we get closer to 2026, um, but I think it's relevant as, as you're starting to see part of this conversation come about. We've touched on it before, Daniel, as well, with this new three-country, three-continent structure of the World Cup. Yet every single quarterfinal onward is only going to be played in the United States. Why we did this stupid system of three countries hosting when all three countries individually, and A, no offense to Canada, but probably not their first priority to have football as part of their main dialogue. Why these countries that individually couldn't host this, this tournament themselves and why we're doing this three thing going forward is beyond me. I digress. There's a lot more time to talk about it, but there you go. That is your quarterfinals to finals for the 2026 World Cup. Couple thoughts here. Number one, I would pay 
an absorbent amount of money just to see European fans go to Kansas City to Arrowhead and just to see the reaction. They're lucky <laughs> of, it's in it, July, by the way. It's in the middle of nowhere. And it's like a sea of parking lots. They're gonna be like, This is I cannot believe what I'm where I'm here right now. Number two, sounds like me and Matt might be taking a road trip to Mercedes Benz for the quarterfinals. So that or semifinals. So that could be a that could be an interesting development in 2026, a loss that is still very far away. Um, and just to touch on your three country or continent system, I just don't think Mexico definitely not Canada has the infrastructure to host. And I think it helped our bid the most to get every country involved, but I hate how we started something new after, you know, the release of 2030. So I I'll Mexico have to agree. Mexico I know, hosted they 1970. Did. I'm looking at it right now. On my, long my board. time ago. That's a long time ago, but I, I do agree. I do agree, but I'm just glad that we're hosting, you know, not only Copa America, but we we're going to have the world cup in our, in our home state. So very thankful. But now we have the X side of the week. It's a favorite segment. We love to do um, all the best players who stood out, even if they didn't score or assist or have a clean sheet. We just, you know, whoever stood out, this week will make their way on the team sheet. Would you like to start us? Start for us. Sure. More than happy to. Uh, we have Hideki uh, for Bayer Leverkusen and goal. By the way, just so that we have a recap, it's uh, three, four, three. Um, so three defenders, four midfielders, three forwards. Uh, Hideki, like I said, for Bayer Leverkusen, shut out, clean sheet, had about six saves in that game. So it looked pretty good there. Uh, in the back, uh, Bercici, who had two goals. Uh, if you have a defender who has two goals, add him to the list. Uh, Brand White from Everton, uh, who had a game-tying goal in, in their game against Spurs. So, of course, he gets on there as well. And uh, Kieran Trippia, uh, who finally looks to be rested and playing better after a pretty tough couple weeks there where fatigue probably had quite a factor on his legs, had a goal and an assist in their game as well against Luton. Daniel is going to take us through our midfielders and strikers, and then we'll also get into our players of the week and young players of the week to wrap us up. Just to say, this might be the most unique XI we've ever done with new names. Um, I just noticed that. So in the midfield, we have Lavro Majer for Wolfsburg, had two goals in their game against Hoffenheim. Luca Della Torre, the American, for Salta Vigo had a goal and assist. He's finally starting to put that in product together in the last couple of weeks. So that's great to see Nathan Tella with two goals um, for Leverkusen and the Medi Longstaff with two goals for Newcastle in their comeback against Luton. Um, the lead, the front to Ketelare with two goals. Like I mentioned before, Jonathan David um, and Leo had a brace as well. And then Richarlison for, for Spurs continues his lightning form with another brace. Now for player of the week, we have some new names as well. Um, I have uh, Mateus Cunha for Wolves, a hat-trick. Don't think I've ever seen a Wolves player score a hat-trick, so shout-out to Cunha, who's finally starting to put it all together. Who when do you, you play have? Chelsea, you get hat-tricks. It's fine. Don't it's, worry about it's, it. It's a recurring theme, I guess. I have Ilkay Gundogan, of course, goal and an assist in the game for Barcelona. He did come off hurt with a back injury, although we don't suspect that to be too severe. But um, yeah, goal and an assist, and, and you're going to get in my roster there. My young player of the week, go figure, a Chelsea player who scores goals not at Chelsea, uh, Datro Fofana, who had two goals for Fulham in their comeback. Or yeah, 
for Burnley and their comeback against Fulham. Uh, and yes, when you get two goals, and like I said, pretty recurring theme. You leave Chelsea and you score goals. You go to Chelsea and you don't know what the net looks like. So uh, give me the young man who has a, a bright, bright future. Of course, he's on loan. Uh, will he come back? We will see. And he came off the bench, so it makes this performance even more impressive. Now, I think an interesting development, we'll see if Broha goes and scores a hat-trick next game. That Now, that will be, I think, the final nail on Matt's coffin. For my young player of the week, Alejandro Garnacho, two goals. One of, if not the best Man United player at, at this time. I mean, he is just a revelation for them and has kind of carried them throughout the season. And that is our player of the week. Young Player of the Week, and XI of the Week. Daniel, I'm glad we did this. It was. It felt therapeutic. It felt necessary for both of us after a really rough Sunday. Of course, I started the Sunday off poorly. You finished the, poor, the Sunday off poorly for us. Uh, but, of course, we had to get on the horn and talk about everything for you guys as you, the listeners, are why we do this. Uh, for that reason, again, please download, like, subscribe, leave us a five-star rating. Let us know what we're doing on X at Full-Time Roundup. If there's things that you like about the show, if there's things you'd like us to improve, if there's any players we missed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We just love to hear from you guys because, again, you guys make this possible and why we do this. So um, we will be back on Thursday for a preview show. As always, there's a lot to cover there as well and big, big matchups in a lot of leagues. And until then, we will see you in the next roundup.